Amen. If you open your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel uh, chapter uh, 16 this morning. I know a lot of times when uh, I'm up here and I'm preaching about, uh, you know, uh, this thing or uh, that thing, I see a lot of y'all uh, looking up me and I can just see it in your face and you're looking up at that me and saying that that preacher has no idea what he's talking about. Or I'll talk about uh, something and uh, some of y'all look back uh, up at me and says he has no idea what that is like. I don't even know why he's up here talking about it because he knows nothing about that subject uh, whatsoever. But I promise you this morning I'm going to talk to you about a subject that I do know something about. And the subject that we're going to talk about this morning is us not being able to see. And I really, you know, in my life, I've had a struggle with, uh, with not being able to, uh, to see that very well. And I have many stories about bumping into things and running into things and misreading things, and that's just really a part of it. But even as limited as my vision can be sometimes, I can find in even my life understanding that it's not sometimes a matter of not being able to see but it's a matter of just not paying attention. I know a lot of us guys are bad about this uh, a lot of times. We'll be in the house looking for something, and we're looking for it. We're screaming and yelling, where is such and such and such a thing? And finally, you call the wife in or you call the, the, uh, one of your ch- children in and say, where is it at? And they point right in front of you, and there it is all the time. And even that uh, for us, that's the way we are spiritually sometimes. We have the capacity to see, but we have the unwillingness. We lack the desire to be able to see things that are right in front of us because we look through life in our own eyes. And we do not see things as God sees things. And I remember how frustrating it was when I'd always go to the eye doctor. You know, and they'd bring that little big uh, lens thing right there in front of you. And they would play that little game where they would go, A, B, which is better, A or B. And I would look at that doctor like, they look the same to me. And then he'd go, well, one or two, one or two. And I was like, they all look the same to me because my eyes couldn't focus. My eyes couldn't see a difference. And a lot of times in our life, we're so spiritually blind, we can't see the difference between God's eyes and our own eyes. The things that are right in front of me and the things that God wants to reveal to us. So I pray this morning that we allow God to sit us in that chair this morning and take a look at our eyes and let us focus in and let us see this world and let's see ourselves through his eyes. So let's begin in First uh, Samuel chapter 16, beginning with verse number one. Said the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If, if Saul hears of it, he will kill me. 
And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you uh, what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who is to deliver, who is to who I am to declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord had commanded and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peacefully? And he said, Peacefully, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And consecrate Jesse and his sons and invite them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Elab and he thought, Surely the Lord has anointed, the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his statue, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Demabad and made him pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse bade Shema pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he says, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes. And was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from the day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, one of the things that the Word does for us, Lord, is that it guides us. It allows us to see the world for who it truly, what it truly is. It allows us to see us for who we truly are. But most importantly, Lord, it allows us to see you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as we spend this time in your Word, Lord, that we will open our eyes and see you for who you truly are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Samuel, how long will you grieve? How long will you grieve over Saul? That is the question God had for Samuel because Samuel was heartbroken. Samuel was heartbroken because that he loved Saul. And it was a good disposition for Samuel to have that he thought really a Saul is kind of like a son. And he respected Saul for who he was as God's anointed and he looked forward to what God was going to do for Saul. And it all comes crashing down. And so Samuel was grieving. He was grieving of how Saul had been rejected. But most importantly, he was grieving because he thought God's plan had been ruined. He thought that 
This idea of God establishing a kingdom, he thought this idea of God having a king, he thought of this idea of God establishing his rule and being able to accomplish these things were gone. And he was heartbroken because he thought that it was over. He thought that the plan had failed. And the reason why he thought the plan had failed is he thought that the key to success of that plan relied on Saul and what Saul could do, and Saul's strength, and Saul's power. And so when he thought that, when he saw that Saul had been rejected, he thought the plan was over. He thought the success of what God was doing was dependent upon a person. But God says, Saul, why, I mean, Samuel, why do you grieve over Saul? And what God is really saying here is you need to understand that even though Saul is gone, even though Saul has been rejected, the plan is still on. God is still working because God's success and God's plan is not dependent upon people, but is solely dependent upon God. And too many times in our life, we put our hope and our trust in people. And we think when those people fail, when we think because those people have fallen away, that sometimes it damages, it ruins, it thwarts God's plan, but it doesn't. That's what causes us to put so many of our leaders, and especially those who are leaders in the church and leaders of Christianity, we put them on a pedestal. And we see them on high and we lift them up because we think that in some way they are the ones who are bringing about the success. We think that they are the ones who are advancing the kingdom. And so when they fall, we are heartbroken because we think as they fade that the plan of God and the work of God fades with them. But it doesn't. It doesn't. Because regardless of how people come and go, regardless of how the leaders rise and fall, God is still king of the earth. God is still Lord of the church. And God is still advancing his kingdom with or without that person, with and without you, with or without you. And too many times in our life, And it's sad to see that we see this in spiritual circles. That as we see these leaders arise and we think that they are so valuable and we set them on a pedestal. And then some people think because they're so valuable to the kingdom of God, they're so valuable to a ministry that they are indispensable. And so we begin to allow them to um, take advantage and we allow them to have benefits and we allow them to get away with things that they shouldn't because we think that they are too valuable. We shouldn't expose their sins. We shouldn't expose their shortcomings. We shouldn't bring them account for the things that they have done because they are just too valuable. Their ministries are too valuable. And God wants us to know that they are not valuable at all. Their value is linked to their working in the kingdom of God. 
And so they have no value in themselves. You have no value in yourself. The only value that you have is given to you in the person of God. And as long as we are following in Him, then we will be allowed to work in His kingdom and work in His ministry. But as soon as we turn away and as soon as our hearts move away from God, what God wants us to do, then God will push us aside too and bring on to the next person. Samuel, how long are you going to grieve for Saul? You need to realize that it's all in God's hands. We get so frustrated when we think about the way that our leaders are today. And we grieve for the state of our leadership, and we should. And we grieve for the state of the church, and we grieve for the state of of the world, but we have to understand that as sorry as our leaders may be and as weak as our churches may be and as weak as sometimes we are, that God is still working. God's promises are still true. God's kingdom is still moving forward because it's not dependent upon man, but rather it is dependent upon God. So why do we grieve? Let's pick up. And let's move on to the next thing. We really can't see God moving because we think that it moves through a particular person. And we think that it moves a certain way. And when we think that when those people are gone, then that work is gone. But it's not. The work continues because the work was always being done by God through people. And if you don't want God to work through you, that's fine. He'll work through somebody else. So let us see with our eyes. Let's see that God is still working, even in the futility of people. So he says, Samuel, grab up a horn of oil because I have found a son of Jesse and you will anoint him as king. And we remember from the previous chapters that the reason why he was choosing him is because he was going to be a man after his own heart. So he goes to Bethlehem to find Jesse. And things are kind of tense right now in the kingdom because everybody has heard that Samuel, that Samuel has rejected or said that God has rejected Saul. So when he gets there, he says, are you coming in peace? And even Samuel was worried that if Saul ever saw him, that he would kill him because Saul knew in his heart that God had turned him against him. And he knew that the kingdom was gone away from him. And he knew that he was nothing without God. And so they were worried about the conflict. They were worried about civil war. And so he kind of goes and they said, do you come in peace? He said, yes, I'm come to have a feast. We're going to make a sacrifice And I want you to get Jesse and all of his sons, and I want you to bring them. And so there they go to the festival, and everybody sits down, and he sees Jesse, and he sees seven of his sons, and you just kind of have to think that Samuel was just kind of looking around, thinking, which one of them is it? Which one of them could it be? Which one of them seems to have kingly qualities? And he looks at Abinadad, and he says, that's got to be the one. 
that's got to be the king. He looks like a king. He's mighty. He's tall. He's strong. He just looks like a king. And then God speaks to Samuel and says, Samuel, do not look. Do not look on her his appearance or the height of his statue because I have rejected him. Man sees not as man, a God sees not as man sees because man looks at outward appearance, but God looks on the what? He looks on the heart. And what God is really trying to say to Samuel is this. Samuel, we are in chapter 16 of this book, and still you don't get it. You made the same mistake thinking that Saul was going to be a great king because he looked like a king. And everybody thought he was going to be a great king because he was tall and he was strong. Samuel, don't you get it now that I don't see things the way that you do? And if you're going to follow me and if you're going to work for me, you're going to have to adjust your eyes. You're going to have to stop thinking the way that people think, the way that you've always grown up to think about the ways of the world and the ways of God and the ways of things and start readjusting your mind to the way that I think. He says, I've rejected him. We've tried the whole, let's get a king that looks like a king. And we saw how that worked. Now I'm going to pick a king. And I'm going to pick a king that may not look like a king. But I'm going to pick a king that I know will follow me because he will follow me with his heart. God is the only one who is really able to look at our hearts. There are some things that we can see about people. You know, a lot of us, uh, all of us are here this morning. We don't know who's truly here worshiping and what would be the difference between those people and those who are just here this morning. When people do things, good things, things of generosity, we can't really tell if they're doing it for selfish ambition with a hidden motive or if they're doing it with a pure heart. Now, sometimes we can observe people over time, and eventually those things will manifest themselves just like they did with Saul. But God is able to judge people, and God is able to see people in their hearts. Why would God look not at the outward appearance, but rather look at the heart? Jesus tells us a lot about this. When he talks about how out of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And as Jesus spoke about the traditions of the Jews and as they would do their washings and their purifications, Jesus taught them, you know, it's not what you put into your body because what you put in your body will just be expelled out. But it's what is in your heart and comes out out that corrupts you. The heart is the center of who we are. It hides our motivations. It hides our desires. 
It really hides who we truly are. And eventually, what's in our heart will be manifested in our actions. We saw Saul serve God for a little bit when it was convenient for him. But when things got hard, we saw what was on Saul's heart. We saw who he really was. And so God wanted Samuel to know that I don't see things and I don't judge people the way that you see things and the way that you judge people because you will base those things out of outward appearance about what you can see, what you can smell, what you can hear, and what you can touch. But I can look deep inside a man's heart, and I know what is in him. I want us to think about that this morning. I want us to think that not about how I look like a Christian or how I look like a believer and I act like a believer, but I really want you to imagine this morning God peering his eyes straight into your heart. And ask yourself honestly this morning, what is he seeing? What is he seeing? What is it that is in your heart? What is really in your mind? Do you live your life to please God? I can't tell you. Do you really live your life to worship? Do you really live his life to wholeheartedly follow his commandments? I can't tell you. Your wife can't tell you. Your kids can't tell you. Your mama can't tell you. But in a conversation that you would have with God, he will show the truth of who you are. Samuel, you need to learn to see things with my eyes of how I choose people. And what type of people does God choose? We see that he, Samuel, goes through all, he goes through seven of David's sons. And he starts with the oldest and goes down. And he goes, not him, not him, not him, not him. And he gets to the last one and said, not him. And he looked at Jesse and said, Jesse, is this all your sons? He says, well, I got one more. But I sent him out to take care of the herds while we came to this important meeting. God chooses the people who weren't even invited to the selection. He chose somebody that was so off the map, they didn't even think that it was possible that he would be the one that God would choose. But rather, God chooses him. I don't know if uh, any of y'all are, are sports fans and like to watch like the football draft, and uh, they have the, their selections. And then every once in a while, you know, they have a good idea about what team is, is going to select who and and where, but every once in a while, uh, one of the GMs will get up there and they'll call out a name, 
and everybody just starts swarming through their papers to find that name. And finally, uh, after a silence, those commentators will look up and say, man, I don't even know who that is. It was so unbelievable that that person was selected that they weren't even thought of as a possibility. Some of you may think, and some people may think of you, that God wouldn't even think of you as a possibility to be used. You don't have what it takes. But those are the type of people that God uses because he doesn't look on the outward appearance, but rather he looks at the heart. And so we see that God is still working and we see the type of people that God will use. But let us see and learn to see how God works. And so we pick up in uh, verse 14 when David is in the service of Saul. It says, Now Saul, now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a hateful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who, will, who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can come play well and bring, bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, so he will, uh, who is with, your, with the sheep. And Jesse took a dog and laid it with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them to David with his son Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly and became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever a harmful spirit from the Lord was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with all his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. We need to get our eyes just adjusted to the way that the Lord works. First of all, we need to see that the Lord works in his own time. We see that in that moment that he was anointed king, the close of that first section in verse 13 says the Spirit of God was on David, and it says in verse 14 that the Spirit of God had left Saul. And so now David was anointed king, but it was going to take years, years before David ascended the throne, before it fully took place in the realm of the world, before that Saul was off the throne and David was on it. It took years of God working out his plan to make it happen, but yet it happened in an instant. God works in his timing, and he may have made a promise to you, and you say, where is it? Why hasn't it happened? We need to understand 
that God does things in his time. But we also see that God opens up doors. God wanted to move him, David, into a position. And so he created an opportunity. He sent the troubled spirit into Saul's life. And that troubled spirit that tormented him had to essentially be the reality that he knew that he had the spirit upon God, upon him, and that made him who he was. And now he knew it was gone and he was nothing and it was only a matter of time before he lost his throne. That would kind of make you depressed too, wouldn't it? And so he said, uh, and so a servant says, well, why don't we get somebody to come play some music for you uh, while you're in this time of uh, distress? And then somebody spoke up and they said, well, that's a good idea. And then finally somebody goes, I know somebody. I know somebody. His name's David. God opened up a door for David. To be in the position that God wanted him to be in. But God not only opened that door through a miraculous happening, but it also was opened, that door was opened by David's abilities. His ability as a musician, his ability as a warrior, his ability as a man of uh, of valor, and his ability and his character as a man of valor of God. Open the door for him. Will we let our abilities open up a door for us to be used by God? Will we let our talents open up a door for God to use us to witness to somebody else? Will we allow God to use our character to open up a door as an opportunity for witness? God opens up doors, and then God will grant us favor. It was through God that he had favor with Saul. And Saul didn't know it, but he was bringing into his very throne room the young man that would one day replace him. But he couldn't see it. And maybe David didn't even see it. And maybe even nobody else saw it. But that's what the Lord was doing. And I pray in our life that we will learn to have a greater vision of how God is working around us, of how God wants to use use you and me and how he wants to use the skills and the talents that we develop in our life open up doors for ministry, and allow God to use us. You say, God can't use me. I don't have the right talents. I don't have the right stuff. Let's let God open our eyes to see that God will use anybody who has his heart set on him. But then you'll say, you know what? This world's too far gone. Everything's just a mess. I'm just going to fold my arms and just wait for Jesus to come. Because all of our leaders have failed. All of our churches are bad. 
and everybody seems to have fallen away. Let us eyes be open to realize that even as uh, things fail, even as peoples fail, even as nations crumble, and even as wars happen, God is still at work. God is still moving. God's kingdom is moving forward because his kingdom is not built and not sustained by men, but it's built upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Let us hold fast to the rock and let him open our eyes to see he in his kingdom is busy at work. He in his kingdom desires to use you. And he in his kingdom is opening up a door and challenging you this morning to walk through it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many things, Lord, that you've blessed us with. Lord, we thank you for your willingness to use us. Lord, we don't know why. We don't know why that you choose to accomplish your will through your people. But, Lord, you do. And, Lord, I pray, Lord, this morning that we will lay ourselves down to be used by you. But maybe, Lord, more importantly, in this time of invitation, we need to just let you peer into our hearts and to see where we are and to see if we are truly devoted to you or if we're still just living for ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.